1: Tonight on The Readout… We
2: have got to get per- finished the proceedings or so else it would complete history.
1: There has to be some way we can maintain the sense that people have that there's uh, some security or some
3: confidence uh, that government can function and that we can elect the president of the United States.
1: It's been exactly two years since the January 6th insurrection. And watching Nancy Pelosi's leadership in a crisis is a stark contrast to how we currently have no Speaker of the House at all. And while Kevin McCarthy may have gained votes today, he has now lost the Speaker's race 13 times. Not exactly inspiring confidence and another glaring example of his failures as a leader. And on January 6th, we'd be amiss if we didn't mention Mr. Fist Pump, Josh Hawley, Lucas Kuntz, the Democrat who just announced that he's running against Hawley, joins me tonight. And we begin tonight with the two-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. With 64, when 64 days after Election Day, a mob of Donald Trump loyalists stormed the Capitol, striking at the heart of our democracy. They smashed windows, smeared feces on the walls and floors, and roamed freely through the storied halls, calling for lawmakers' heads. They waved the flag of the treasonous Confederacy inside our Capitol, something that didn't even happen during the Civil War. They even raised a makeshift gallows outside the Capitol walls to display their vision for America. Today, South Carolina Democrat James Clyburn was the first lawmaker to acknowledge the two-year anniversary, while rising to nominate his colleague, Hakeem Jeffries, for the speakership.
0: Exactly two years ago, Today, our resolve was tested when the violent mob of insurrectionists attacked our capital. The greatness of this country and the resiliency of our democracy
1: were put at peril. But we survived. Yes, we survived for now. And two years later, prosecutions of those rioters continue. Yet another type of insurrection continues at this very moment again inside the house chamber where insurrectionist allies are now fighting amongst themselves blocking their one-time protector Kevin McCarthy's bid for speaker and preventing the start of the new congress the house will adjourn until 10 p.m. tonight when a 14th round of voting is expected for the US House speaker without a speaker the house ceases to function forcing america to endure kevin humiliation week for yet another day. It is the longest the chamber has gone leaderless in a century, leaving Americans nationwide with no district-level federal representation. It's a remarkable and terrifying tableau of America. Extremist politicians commemorating the second anniversary of the Capitol attack by taking the House floor hostage to demand more power for themselves. Among the anti-Kevin holdouts, 12 of them explicitly denied the results of the election, and more than a dozen were endorsed by Trump. They include Scott Perry, who tried to help Trump overturn the election by pushing to replace the attorney general with a functionary. Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar, both under scrutiny for allegedly helping to organize the coup. Along with insurrection apologist Dan Bishop and elected trolls Matt Gates. And Lauren Boebert. What we have witnessed for an entire week is the so-called leader of this party negotiating with who legal scholar Lawrence tribe describes as domestic terrorists, a prelude to the next two years when whoever becomes the speaker becomes a hostage to this far-right faction. Until then, no one can govern. They cannot represent the people who elected them. Remember, Speaker Nancy Pelosi led the House during the insurrection, essentially acting as the de facto president, taking charge and trying to secure the Capitol while sheltering in a secure location. What would happen if the House faced an attack tomorrow or even weeks from now, presumably with McCarthy as Speaker, a man who can't even get his caucus to rally around him enough to win a majority of House votes? It's what former D.C. Metropolitan Police Officer Michael Fanone disclosed in his recorded meeting with McCarthy when Fanone asked him to denounce members of the party who downplayed the insurrection. This is what later Kevin McCarthy said.
4: He wouldn't agree to do so. Uh, and even more so, he said that uh, he couldn't control these fringe members of his party, which I thought was pretty shocking coming from somebody who, you know, uh, calls himself Leader McCarthy.
1: Well, either Kevin's very bad at math or he has no control over his conference, which is a problem if he wants to be speaker. And in fact, both things can indeed be true. Joining me now is MSNBC Capitol Hill correspondent Ali Vitali. And Ali, we are hearing, we keep, you know, every day when we bring you on, we hear potential deal, potential deal. Today, Kevin McCarthy did manage to move 14 votes in his direction. What do you know about the deal that was made to get them there and what deals are being negotiated with the final, what is it, six or seven people?
3: Yeah. And, and really, it's less than that, too, that they're trying to get to flip, because what negotiators on Team McCarthy are trying to accomplish here, Joy, is just to get them to a number where, whatever the magic number is, McCarthy can win that, which is to say they don't need all of these people who are still the holdouts to say yes to McCarthy. They're fine with some of them staying no, as long as some of them get to present And yes, they have a few different permutations of the way in which they want to do this, but this was always their plan of attack here. When they knew that they were in for this long slog of multiple rounds of balloting, they were trying to peel off the first chunk of people who we saw vote for McCarthy this afternoon, and then they were going to move to what they were calling phase or step two, which is going individual by individual and trying to figure out how they could get these folks to the place that they need them to be. Right now, my understanding is that they're targeting freshman member Eli Crane of Arizona, as well as Matt Rosendale of Montana, For Rosendale, he's got some interesting home state calculations here, specifically the idea that he would probably like to run for U.S. Senate in the coming months. And this kind of a vote against McCarthy could help him on the ground there. Our sources say Trump has tried to get involved and try to get him to a place where he can support McCarthy. So those are the machinations of the pro-McCarthy negotiators right now. But in terms of the concessions, this is certainly going to make it harder to be speaker, because all of the point of these concessions for these hard Republicans was to take power away from the speaker and instead put it back in the hands of the rank and file, which means it's going to get pretty messy over the course of the next two years. And if anything, this week is indicative of what we're in for for the next several months and frankly, the next two years.
1: Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound like uh, McCarthy is in a position of strength, even if he can get all those people yeah. over. Ali Vitale, uh, the great Ali Vitale, you've been doing a fantastic <laughs> job. Thank you very much. Let's bring in Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania. I do want to start with these concessions, Congresswoman. Thank you so much for being here. It feels like this is not a a revolt against, uh, on some sort of principle. It's a revolt for power for the people who are revolting. One member thresholds for a vote of no confidence, meaning they could eliminate the speaker at any moment. More Freedom Caucus members on the Rules Committee, meaning the insurrectionists, the people who supported the mob that tried to kill members of Congress and the Vice President would control the rules, the controls on government spending, their ideas that they want to decide whether we default on our debt and procedure stuff and, you know, stuff to prevent themselves from having money spent against them in elections. It feels really small, Congresswoman. But when you think about it, the people who marauded the Capitol and threatened to kill members of Congress, such as yourself, they did it all for something small, for Donald Trump to be able to not say he lost an election. Your thoughts? Well, Joy, it's...
2: um I have to admit to you, poignant to be with you this evening, this second anniversary of January the 6th. And so while we can look at these negotiations, and we will go back tonight at 10 o'clock in in the evening, late in the evening, and vote a 14th time, and I have been told by Steve Scalise and others they've got the votes in some compilation. Uh, You just revealed the tissue thin uh, speaker who will be elected by their conference. Tissue thin in terms of his authority, his ability to lead. But I want to go back to the fact that consider where we are. It is the two-year anniversary of January the 6th. Literally two years ago right now, uh, we were determined to go back to the floor, determined to complete our constitutional duty in the face of insurrectionists who attacked our capital. supported, supported, members of this Republican conference. Uh, So it is poignant, strange and sad, the extraordinary losses that we remember today, the extraordinary trauma, the loss of life. This was not just an insurrection. It was deadly. You described it sadly and very, very well. And so I'm just mindful of the fact that uh, I'll go back there tonight. We will see them swear in, or I guess, elect a paper leader we will be sworn in likely around midnight. Can you imagine that yeah. on January the 6th?
1: You know, we have, a, we, have a, we have an image of you that is really jarring um, on that day with the gas mask and all of you were in the gallery trying to hold the gallery as long as you could. You eventually had to be evacuated out of there. Today, all of the Democrats and just one Republican gathered to honor the Capitol police officers who saved your lives. And only one Republican showed up for that. And Kevin McCarthy, who wants to be Speaker of the House, didn't show up for that. And one must presume the only reason he didn't show up is that he knew that the people who he needs votes from detest the idea that the January 6th mob was stopped. And so it was politics again. What? what how does it read for you that the man who wants to be Speaker and all but one Republican refused to come out? and join in that 142nd moment of silence for those who died.
2: It's stunning and shameful. I, I of course, was standing right there. um, And I I have to admit to you, do you know what they were doing at the very same time? They were having a telephone conference call around uh, McCarthy's attempt at leadership. I likened it to uh, a a football coach. Could you imagine a football coach afraid to go into the locker room to talk to his team, to rally the support for what they needed to do together to unify them? Mr. McCarthy could not meet them in person and much more shamefully didn't take the time to come out front to those capital steps because we attempted to make it a bipartisan remembrance. The most meaningful moment to me, Joy, I have to say I was mindful of my own sadness and remembering the trauma of that day. I can still hear the gas masks. I can still hear the pounding on the glass doors. And all of that faded away when you saw the members of the family walk up to the microphone and say the names of the fallen officers. Did you see the moment when the two children walked up, not tall enough to reach the microphone, to call out the name of Officer Billy? My God, how could any one of us not have been there? Uh, As I said, a paper, paper leader. It's
1: it's hard for me to imagine. It is hard for me to imagine, Um, given the fact that all of this has just been for bare politics, um, that they were willing to allow fellow members to maybe be hurt or killed to keep Donald Trump in office. And Kevin McCarthy even said he knew that Trump was to blame, and then he changed his mind for politics. How can anyone on the Democratic side respect him if he becomes the speaker or trust him?
2: Well, I'll speak only for myself, uh, that I, I, I don't respect him. I want so much for the Republican conference to be successful, to be unified, and to be about the people and the people's work. But at turn after turn, we haven't seen that. And I have said at turn after turn these last years, Mr. McCarthy made choices. We all make choices, frankly. But Mr. McCarthy made choices. After January 6th, we saw him with great resolve say that the president bared responsibility and within days turned on that 180 degrees uh, and became complicit, said there was not responsibility. And then, with the very rogue members who came to his conference, instead of reining them in, instead of showing maturity and saying your anti Semitic remarks are unacceptable here, uh, most recently, uh, with Mr. Santos about to be sworn in silence from Mr. McCarthy, turn after turn after turn. So I will speak for myself in saying, and saying and my own personal interactions, frankly, on legislation that I have had on the floor and the bullying, strange interaction of this failed leader. I don't have respect for the credibility of his ability to lead. Uh, his mm. ethos uh, is lacking. Can I just offer a, a, a very important, stark contrast? I know the American people saw over the course of this week the extraordinary resolve in the Democratic caucus. We're only four votes down. Uh, we have brought in new members, 34 or th- five new members, who are of extraordinary diversity and talent. And we, in a unified way, in vote after vote after vote after vote after vote after hmm. vote, after vote voted for Hakeem Jeffries with a confidence uh, in him and in our leadership and in our vision for Mm -hmm. the people and for policies that will make a difference. So as dark as today feels, I am so optimistic for our future because the American people elected this conference, our conference, uh, and they see the total dysfunction on the other side of the aisle.
1: Congresswoman Madeline Dean, you've always been so kind uh, to be with us to talk about this very difficult issue and a very difficult day uh, for yourself and your fellow members and staff uh, on January 6th and law enforcement as well. Thank you very much. Uh, joining me now is Congresswoman Corey Bush of Missouri. And, you know, Congresswoman Bush, you were um, a just newly minted Congresswoman. You had just been sworn in um, days before January 6th. And so I-, I guess I'll ask you the same question. This is a somber day. Uh, I spent much of the day watching the various ceremonies that were taking place and, you know, the president honoring not just the law enforcement folks, but also the election workers and those who stood up for democracy. And it was striking that the only Republicans I saw were those Republicans who were honored by President Biden for saying no to their party and certifying the election. When you all stood together to honor the police officers who died and to give their children the chance to say their families' names and their wives. No Republicans, but one were there. I wonder how that made you feel.
0: You know, let me just say, uh, and thank you for having me on, Joy, again, two years later. I was with you. I was on with you that night um, uh, as we were on lockdown in the office, and um, when we didn't even have a panic button yet, we didn't have an enunciator to even f- hear what was going on. Um, But, you know, I, I was thinking about it last night. Like, should I show up? To this reflection Um, I had to ask A couple of my um, CBC colleagues Like what What should I do And the reason why I was asking the question Was because I Because it it was Bipartisan And I was trying To figure out How do I Stand And reflect On this moment um, With those That even if They were not uh, They didn't partake Even if they were not A part of the insurrection Many of them Didn't speak out For those that Did not speak out For those that that turned that turned their heads or stayed quiet because they were trying to win an election. I was just trying to figure out how I could stand with them. Um, but I thought about the families. I thought about those that lost their lives. And so that's why I showed up. Uh, and I, I thought about um, one of my favorite officers on the Hill, um, Officer Harry Dunn, um, who I talk to, um, you know, every time I see him, I, I, I thought about him and his story. Uh, And so I was there. But the fact that they couldn't show up, what type of leadership is that? They have said, Joy, for two years um, that I've heard because I was there only for two years. We're going to lead, you know, when we take over, we're going to govern. We're going to show the Democrats, you know, who are Democrats are always in always in disarray. We're going to show them how to govern. Well, they have not done that They've been there since Tuesday And they've had two years to figure it out And they've had since November Really since November To really, really figure it out And hone in on how to lead This was not leadership Because people lost their lives People who showed up to work You know, people who should be with us today People who took their lives You know, after this happened People who lost so much after this Children who who had to give a name on a microphone As I just heard Madeline uh, speak about
1: and they could not show up it's yeah. not leadership Look, and you know a fellow freshman you know who came in the same time you did he hasn't been in, in Congress any longer than you have then was nominated to be speaker and um his name is Byron Donald's of Florida he's been there a hot minute you know he, he's never been in leadership I think he ran for a leadership position before and and lost uh, was defeated by um uh, Elise Stefanik there's an unseriousness to the idea of saying he should be the speaker just because, and, and it looked like I will say what it appeared to be was trying to match Hakeem Jeffries, who is African American and longtime in leadership, to match him with another black person. Even though Republicans have four, they have they have four African American members, and Democrats have about like fifty. <laughs> you know, um, you spoke out about that. You tweeted about it. A guy named Dan Bishop got very incensed about it, called you out on the floor. And he he said he didn't name you by name and he got angry because you called Byron Donald a prop um, and said that he's not a prop. I would like to give you a chance to respond to him because he called it the tired, old, grotesquely racist rhetoric that we've seen for far too long.
0: And he cannot ever, ever from from his birth to to the day he leaves this earth ever school me on racism and what it looks like in this country. Not ever, ever, ever. I don't care what he goes through in his life. He will never be able to school me or teach me about what racism is. And the fact that he had to come and speak to that not even understanding what the reason why I spoke to that because he doesn't understand he doesn't understand uh white supremacy he doesn't understand living in a, a, a this patri- patriarchal system um where uh systemic racism is part of the thread he he doesn't get that and so um so it's okay he and I can sit down and have a conversation so that I can sure. school him about it but um the thing is uh, and again I was my uh because Hakeem Jeffries is a black man and 212, 212, 212, we kept supporting him, Democrats strong. They wanted someone who they felt, oh, well, Democrats will just have to support them because you know, this is there, you know, it's just the, we need to look, we need to be able to say we have the same thing over here. So why not just go ahead and join, join on our side, but (laughs) we are supporting Hakeem Jeffries not because he's a black man and it's just time for a black person. Hakeem Jeffries has been in leadership. He has led for several years. He led our caucus and there's so much more substance there. Um Byron Donalds came in with me. So my thing with Byron Donald is don't let them use you, sir. Don't let them use you, bro. Like to come on over to the freedom side. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, uh, and, and I, I will, I stand corrected. He is actually in his second term. So he's been there a hot minute and a half. Uh, Myron D- uh, Donald has been, he's a second term congressman, but yeah, still ooh. really not qualified to be speaker of the house. Let's just be real. Congressman Cory Bush, thank you very much. Up next on the readout. Even if Kevin does pull this off and actually wins the speaker's gavel, this week has proven that he will spend the next two years having to always appease the farthest fringe of his caucus. The readout continues after this. There is a reason why the United States has a stated policy of not negotiating with terrorists. Doing so only incentivizes their actions and encourages them to make more demands. Unfortunately, it's something Kevin McCarthy does not seem to understand. As we've seen, he's given a pass time and time again to the extreme fringes of his caucus, to the point where they not only don't seem to respect him, but they've declared independence from him for all intents and purposes. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has recently been clinging to McCarthy's side like his new best friend, told the New York Times back in October that, I think that to be the best Speaker of the House and to please the base, he's going to give me a lot of power and a lot of leeway. And if he doesn't, they're going to be very unhappy about it. So perhaps it should not be all that surprising that we are heading into round 14, still without a Speaker. And even if McCarthy is able to squeak out those last few votes... The process has also exposed how craven he is to that wing of the party. Instead of showing the kind of leadership and control over his caucus that we saw with Speaker Pelosi when she faced opposition in, in her bids for Speaker, he's reportedly giving away concession after concession that only weakens that Speaker's gavel. And all of this is just the beginning of this conference—of this, of this Congress. With that kind of leadership, what will the next two years look like in a Republican-controlled House? Because while McCarthy may become a speaker, it looks like the inmates will be running the asylum. And joining me now is Tara Sentmeyer, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, who worked as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill. And Tim Miller, writer-at-large at at The Bulwark, MSNBC political analyst and co-host of the Next Level podcast. Thank you both for being here. Tara, I will start with you. Since you did work on the Hill, when you look at these changes that McCarthy has uh, apparently agreed to essentially allowing this group of, let's just be clear, people who supported the insurrection and in some cases asked for pardons due to their activities at the time or in other, or, or in other um, areas, letting them have a one person threshold to vote, no confidence in the speaker and remove him, um, being able to control the spending bills that come out of the conference and um, controlling procedure, getting to be clear of never having uh, opponents funded and being on the rules committee, meaning they control the rules. When you see that, what do you think?
5: I think that John Boehner was correct when he called these people the chaos caucus years ago, when he first encountered the Tea Party wave, which which ultimately germinated into what we see now. This is chaos. I mean, there are certain parts of the institution of how the House works and the the rules that most people, unless you work up there, you don't really want to bore yourself with. But the parliamentary rules and all of this, it's important because this is how the sausage is made. And the idea that someone as weak as Kevin McCarthy uh, would allow for a one person vote of no confidence ability with this motion to vacate is signing his own death warrant. I mean, I just don't understand the the, the, he just reeks of desperation and it seems as though you know, he thinks he's going to control them once he has the gavel. No, he's not. He's not controlling anything. They are controlling everything. The coup caucus, the people who don't believe in the institution of our election system and of our democracy, are the same people now who all of a sudden have found religion and decided that, oh, no, now they want to go buy some rules in the House so that they have more power. This is not how things are going to get done. And let's also be honest, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the other people who are completely illegitimate unserious people trying to say the buzzwords to make them seem as though they're now serious uh, legislators. They've told us what they want to do. They want to push impeachment. They want to allow us to default on our debt. They want investigations endlessly into Hunter Biden's laptop and who somebody's dog catcher and whatever happened with the Bidens and the, de- the deep state, all of this nonsense that has nothing to do with the American people and what this country needs as far as serious governing. That's what they're going to do. It is not going to be a serious group because remember, the, the adults in the room actually are in the Senate and in the White House. So you need everyone to agree on things. How are you going to get there to pass legislation that keeps this country running? Strap in everyone. Well, I mean, it's going to be an eventful couple years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to pass it. It doesn't seem like that's the goal because, you know, Tim Miller, it, it, it strikes me that, right, in the end, the purpose of the coup two years ago, was for Donald Trump not to be able to have to admit he lost an election and to keep him in power illegitimately. In the Tea Party era, it was a lot of, you know, race anxiety and other things. But on paper, it was about wanting to slash government and wanting to control government and default on debt and, and cut the government so you can drown it in a bathtub. This inside coup, which is basically insurrectionist versus insurrectionist, is about committee seats. <laughs> it's, about, it's, about, it, it's about something as small and mundane as committee seats. And one of the people who will have the power to use that the vote of no confidence by himself is this guy. Can we put up George Santos? George Santos, who we don't even know anything about his background because he lied about it all, and who appeared today to throw the white power sign when he voted on the second round of the Kevin McCarthy vote. This was not in today's vote. I think this is either today or, or it might have been yesterday. He did that, and one of the people that was on the ballot at that time, of course, was Byron Donalds, who is black. Now, we haven't been able to get comment from him because there's no office because they're not Congresspeople yet. But that's where we are, Tim. And I wonder what you make of that.
4: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. He might have just been holding his fingers together. I don't know. There's plenty of bad things about George Santos without uh, me reading into his body language. Uh, the fact that he's lied about his whole resume.
1: Kind I I of hard not to.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So look, here's what I think. I I think that this inside coup, as you called it, uh, is not about committee assignments. It's about performative pettiness. That's what it's about. It's about it's about power. It's about saying I can out Newsmax you. OK, it's about saying that, no, you better watch out, Kevin. I'm going to have you on the shortest leash possible. I think what Matt Gates said was that Kevin McCarthy either going to have to resign or he's going to have to be a shackled speaker who, who is completely controlled, who can't move his arms, can't move his legs, can't move anything, uh, because the the nuts uh, you know, uh, Tara, shout out John Boehner. I'll shout out John McCain. He called them the Wacko Birds. The Wacko Birds are going to be in charge. Kevin might get the portrait in the hallway, but the Wacko Birds are the real speaker. And maybe, and this time it's Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, Maybe next time it'll be Marjorie Taylor Greene and Derek Van Orden. Maybe the next time it'll be Paul Gosar. It's only going to take four wacko birds to shut down the entire house. And, and then the, the names are going to be different. It's going to be whoever wants to get on Tucker that night decides that they're going to be the one this time. That's what this but the is thing about.
1: about right. but, well, I mean, Tara, I, I, you're, you're already given an amen here. But the thing is, is that it seems that Kevin McCarthy is OK with that because all he wants is the portrait in the gallery. That's what it seems that he'll he doesn't seem to care that he will be a speaker in name only.
5: Yes. I mean, it's the biblical principle of, you know, what is it to to uh, gain the world and lose your soul, though? You know, like what cost? This guy's an apparition. There is. Is he who respects him? Is anyone, you know, uh, Congresswoman Dean before in your segment, who was very emotional and powerful. um, She is right. How can you respect a guy like this? The Speaker of the House is supposed to be an honorable position. You get the title honorable. There's nothing honorable about any of these people. They couldn't even take the time to honor the men and women who sacrificed to save them on January 6th, two years ago, on this very solemn, horrific day. They couldn't even take 30 minutes out of their time this morning to go and honor those did that and those who fell as a result of it. That shows you where they are. That shows you who Kevin McCarthy is. It shows you who the caucus is, the entire Republican caucus. And it also shows you that Trump is still influential here because he was on the phone persuading these people to, 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 you know, support Kevin and do what he wants. Don't count that part out either because he's going to be driving that bus behind the scenes when Kevin McCarthy needs these people to pass bills. He has no control and it's pathetic.
1: And I I will note that whatever Potemkin leader he is, he will still be second in line to the presidency (laughs) right after the vice president of the United States. Very frightening thought. Tara and Tim are sticking around because they're going to play who won the week. But first, marking two years since Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, seeking to overturn a lawful election. We'll be right back.
4: But on this day two years ago, our democracy held because we, the people, as the Constitution refers to us, we, the people, did not flinch. We, the people, endured. We, the people, prevailed. On this day of remembrance, we honor a remarkable group of Americans who embodied the best before, during and after January the 6th, 2021.
1: That was President Biden today marking the two-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, awarding the Presidential Citizens Medal, the nation's highest civilian honor, to 14 election workers, government officials, and law enforcement officers for their work in upholding democracy before and during the insurrection. You may recognize some of the heroes, some of the honorees as the heroes from the January 6th committee hearings, including officers Michael Finone, Harry Dunn, and Caroline Edwards, and Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shea Moss, the pair of Fulton County election workers who faced death threats after becoming the targets of a Trump-backed election conspiracy. And three police officers were honored posthumously, including Brian Sicknick, Jeffrey Smith, and Howard Liebengood. On Capitol Hill, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, in his first official public act as Democratic leader, also paid tribute to those officers as well as those who were grievously injured while defending the Capitol that day.
6: Violent insurrectionists stormed the Capitol and attempted to halt the peaceful transfer of power, a cornerstone of our republic. They failed. They failed because of the bravery and valor of the United States Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Department officers who fought heroically to defend our democracy. We will never forget their sacrifice and we will never forget this day.
1: We talk a lot about the insurrection now, but it's important as time passes and as Republicans inevitably try to rewrite history that we don't forget just what went down that day. The noose that hung from a gallows placed in front of the Capitol building. We saw rioters carrying Confederate flags through the halls of Congress. The awful images of officers being beaten, sprayed with chemicals, and crushed by the mob. And the stark video showing Officer Eugene Goodman running up the stairs, putting his own life on the line, purposely steering the lynch mob away from the Senate chambers. Inside the House chamber, you had lawmakers forced to put on gas masks and take cover as rioters attempted to breach the chamber. Other members were barricading the door, while officers were pointing their guns outside the gallery, including, you can see him in the middle right there, Congressman Andrew Clyde, who months later, compared the sixth to a normal tourist visit. Now, two years later, the Department of Justice has made more than 900 arrests, which have resulted in 465 guilty pleas, dozens of significant prison sentences, and more seditious conspiracy convictions than the U.S. has seen in decades. And just yesterday, Officer Sicknick's partner, Sandra Garza, filed a civil lawsuit against former President Donald Trump and the two men who pleaded guilty to assaulting Sicknick, blaming them for his death. But there are still some unanswered questions about that day. One of the most serious is who planted the pipe bombs outside DNC and RNC headquarters. We still don't know. Just this week, the FBI upped the reward to half a million dollars. But thanks to the tireless work of the January 6th committee, we know a lot more about the scope of the violence and destruction that day, about who exactly was responsible, and just how close we came to it being much, much worse. And what's even of greater concern is that many of the Republicans who helped foment the insurrection still hold office. Up next, I'll talk to a Democratic candidate for Senate in 2024 who's challenging one of the leading election deniers. The past week has been a shameful embarrassment for the Republican Party. Today is the second anniversary of the violent assault on our Capitol. One hundred and thirty nine House Republicans, including the one seeking the speakership, played a sizable role in the chaos of that day, voting to overturn the election results. Now, while we spent the past week discussing how much of his soul Kevin McCarthy is willing to sell for power, we can't forget about the Senate, where eight Republicans joined the anti-democracy House Republicans to reject the will of the people. The poster boy for that outrage is Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. On the second anniversary of his cowardice, in which he literally fled from the mob before voting to give them what they violently demanded, former Marine Lucas Kuntz announced that he plans to challenge Hawley in 2024.
6: I've done a lot of running in my life. Running to stay healthy, running to fight for my country, running to defend democracy. And by the way, that guy you're looking at, that's not me. That's our current U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, this guy. Or maybe you'd better recognize him running for his life a few hours later. This is me, Lucas Coons, running for Senate. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I did have the support of my community, which made me who I am today. When things get tough, Missourians deserve a U.S. Senator who will stand up for them, not run away.
1: And joining me now is Lucas Kuntz, Democratic candidate for senator from Missouri. Um, Your ad prompted uh, us to really want to have you on today because it was really quite good. Um, So you're an interesting uh, guy. Uh, You are went to Yale on a Pell Grant. Um, Your family had financial struggles like a lot of Americans can relate to. You went to Columbia Law School, got your uh, master of law, and you also joined the Marines. You served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Good resume. Um, You did run for Senate before. You were defeated in the primary uh, by Anheuser-Busch heiress Trudy Bush Valentine, who then went on to lose by more than 13 percentage uh, points against Eric Schmidt. Missouri is a tough state. How do you improve on that this time? And what is your case against Josh Hawley other than him fleeing from the mob he later supported?
6: I tell you what, Josh Hawley made the case against himself, right? Like Missouri, this is the show-me state here in Missouri. Missourians don't tolerate uh, cowards and frauds. And that guy, you know, the reason we launched today on, on January 6th is because that day, you know, he proved what a coward and a fraud he was. I mean, you were just talking about it, right? He raises his fist one second and then, you know, thinking it was going to get him some power. And then when things got real, I mean, he skitters off for the exit as quick as he can get out of there, right? Like, that's the type of fraud and a phony that we don't want in Missouri. Missourians been trying to take back power for a long time against guys like Josh Hawley who don't understand what the meaning of true service is.
1: You know, um, Missouri is now seen viewed as a red state. It, it used to have a little bit of a purple tint, but our good friend Claire McCaskill, friend of the show Claire McCaskill, lost her seat um, to Josh Hawley. Um, and Donald Trump won it twice. He won it fifty six forty one in 2020. How do you win in a state that is perceived as not ruby red, but red?
6: So what Missourians really want right now is they want someone who understands how the, how, what life is like for the average Missourian. You know, most of us live paycheck to paycheck or one disaster from bankruptcy. That's how I grew up. Uh, you can find out more about it at lucaskunst.com for anyone who's watching. You know, I don't want to go into it too deep now, but I mean, we were on desperate times. We went bankrupt from medical bills and we were saved by the community around us. People like Josh holly they don't understand that. All they all they understand is controlling other people so that they can get power. And uh, if Missourians have been doing anything lately, it's actually we've been trying to claw back power. Uh, People might be surprised to hear this, but on ballot initiatives. We have overturned things that people like Josh Hawley have done over and over again. We uh, expanded Medicaid on a ballot measure. We increased the minimum wage. We made marijuana legal and in uh, several other things. And so, like, actually, Missouri is a very populous state where people want power. They just need to see somebody who will offer that to them, offer a lifetime of service, which obviously I have in the Marine Corps, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, the Pentagon. And, uh, and so we're going to make a strong case there the same way that Jason Kander made a case in one of those years. Trump won by 17 points. He ran for U.S. Senate in Missouri. Uh, when Trump won by 17, Jason only lost by three percentage points. People here are willing to switch their ballot if you got a fraud and a coward on the one side and you got a decent human being on the other. And so everything's lining up real nice here on what I consider the front line in the fight for democracy.
1: Well, it is definitely going to be an interesting race and we will be, uh, we will be paying attention to it. Please come back. Missouri Senate candidate Lucas Koontz. Uh, thank you very much, sir, and best of luck to you. Uh, and don't go anywhere, everybody, because you know what's coming next. Who won the week? We'll be right back. Well, friends, we made it through another week, and we still don't have a speaker of the house. But no worries, it is time for our favorite game. Ah, yes, who won the week? Back with me, Tara Setmeyer and Tim Miller. Tim Miller, I'm going to you first. You're the veteran of this game. Who won the week?
4: The only award Matt Gates will ever win on this show. <laughs> um it's matt gates this week look kevin mccarthy thought he was a clown thought he was too petty thought he was gonna get over it in one vote nope matt gates knew the party in the conference better than mccarthy did that's why we still don't have a speaker
1: but can he also be a clown and petty okay i won't answer yeah, that question sure. for myself we're trying to be penny, nice penny, it's penny almost Sunday. <laughs> 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 okay all right fine uh tariff who won the week <laughs>
5: All right. This time I have to be a little serious because it is January 6th. I think that all the recipients of the presidential citizens mm-hmm. medal today are the winners of the week. These people d- demonstrated yeah. incredible courage and bravery across the board. And as the wife of a federal law enforcement officer and a grand the granddaughter of a police officer, I particularly salute the law enforcement officers who literally put their lives in the line to protect those ungrateful people in the house right now that can't form a speaker, but they are the yeah. clear winners and democracy thanks them.
1: Amen, and I will. Or, I will not be shy about admitting I shed. A, I, I was shedding a couple tears watching that. It was really beautiful. My pick is the great Cheryl Johnson. She is the Clerk of the House. Here she is announcing we have no speaker. Do we have time? Here she is. No member elect having
0: received a majority of the votes cast, the speaker has not been elected.
1: She has worked in the House almost 20 years. Howard University grad, worked at the Smithsonian, studied journalism and communications at the University of Iowa, law degree from Howard. Awesome woman. She won the week. Cheryl Johnson, Tara Setmeyer, Tim Miller, you guys won the week too. That is tonight's readout.